In this 150th episode entitled The Off-Season, we have HRV question, an 80-20 question, the three-centimetre rule, and a clothing change you may not be aware of for time trials, Try Weymouth, Tech Gossip, Off-Season Kit Admin, and a few things we're going to bring to the podcast next time. Welcome to the 10th year of the Coach Joe Beer Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Hello. Stop smiling, Martin. Uh, we're supported by No Pin Suppliers of Cycling, Running, Triathlon, Aero Clothing, Custom Club Kit, Innovators of the Speed Pocket, also makers of the ATS Trip Suits. We're also supported by and sat in and using the expert brains of knowledge about sound equipment, southfootracing.co.uk. For all your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Infocrank, Garmin, GoPro, Powerbar, Continental, Tax, Park Tools, Beat It, Cannondale, Fox, there's everything in here. Hello. Hello, Joseph. I'm Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined again today by Crocker, we'll drop the Martin bit, Crocker of Southfoot Racing at Southfoot Racing. Hello. Hello again. Hope everybody's uh, getting into the festive spirit. Yes, because by the time this goes out, they will be getting into the very festive spirit. How close would we be? Oh, very close. To the day. Very close. Okay. Not perhaps, I'm not probably going to do it on Christmas Eve, but very close to the, the day. So, what do you know? Lots of, thing I, lots of things I know. Yes. Um, and lots of things that we've got to talk about as well, I think. Absolutely. So Let's start first off with the latest review at iTunes. This came from Raw Marsh Rob, and it was posted in November, and he said, Thanks for continuing this podcast, fellas. Still my favourite non-music podcast. Thanks for answering any questions I have asked via the podcast to keep up the good work. And it was a five star. So thank you, Raw Marsh Rob. That's very nice. It's good to, uh, it's good to see the reviews. There's, a, there's enough up there, but it's nice for somebody probably to write their little bit about the podcast just so they know that if they do a review, it does appear on iTunes and we do read it out. Thank you very much. That's <laughs> very minimalist words. Thank you. No, that's thank the, you. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's good. It's good. The, the, the downside for us, I think, is, is we, we hate repetition, believe it or not. So anything that's new that comes up, um, is great. Is is good for us because we can just do a bit of digging, a bit of investigating, and uh, hopefully can uh, we can fill a podcast with it, if not other things that don't uh, that doesn't uh, bore you to tears with a bit of luck. Hopefully, hopefully, but also it's good to get people's questions and to be able to um, yeah, I think answer some of the queries out there. His five star was what our forty sixth five star. Uh, rating out of 53 so it's very nice to uh, to have your um, 
your rating, Raw Marsh Rob. You are at the top of the most recent list. There's 38 customer reviews, and considering we've kind of broken the link at one point and we lost them, it's still nice to have them up there. And uh, we look as much as we can the, um, should we say, the most critical as well as the most helpful. But the most critical goes back to October 2012, I believe. There's perhaps some, oh no, there's a 2014 one. Uh, buy, a new, buy a new microphone. <laughs> it was 2014. <laughs> which, is, which is fair comment. Which is fair comment. And we did. And we have um, excellent support in Henry, our, our super duper, um, yeah, our, our, our super duper uh, sound engineer. Um, there was a chap called um, blah, 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 uh, Gefaldio. I've listened for many years. Uh, the sound has improved uh, with the seagulls in the background. <laughs> Good information on sports science and research. Uh, comedy golf and crocker. Um, keep up the excellent work. So that's that's getting down the list of the ones that are actually um, most kind of critical. So we haven't got that many critical. But if you do find something in the podcast that you either find annoying, and it might be uh, us talking Me. about... <laughs> tires or chains or or, or or swim golf scores or something that irritates you tell us because we don't want to repeat but we also don't want people to think that there's things they can't ask us and that we therefore um, could go off and do a bit of research about i quite like having different and there were different uh, questions pitched at us so why don't we jump straight into a question that was pitched at us from uh this is johnny turnbull uh, he said he was uh, what Olympic distance race uh, um, wants to qualify 2017. His question, it's not too long-winded, but I will read it all so that you can see the context. He said, great podcast full of no-nonsense advice for people who want to get the best out of their training. I took up triathlon a few years ago and I've been gradually taking things a bit more seriously. Starting um, as a have-a-go triathlete, then buying better kit, doing more training, then finally on to more focused training. My goal for next year is to qualify as an age grouper, but I still have some way to go, so I'm looking for an edge. I'm lucky enough to work uh, to lucky enough to work uh, with some friends who are quite serious about enjoying sports, and who uh, get to bounce ideas off each other. Some of them are quite odd, including a guy who interprets time crunch training plans as everything has to be intense. Over the past year. A couple of us have become more serious about heart rate training, predominantly working in zone one, but throwing in tempo or anaerobic sessions. I've also, in brackets reluctantly, started taking adaptation weeks more seriously based on your advice. And although it's early days, this seems to be working wonders. Phew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most recently... Still, we've come across the ideas of... Uh, Most recently, uh, we've come across ideas of monitoring... HRV, which for those who don't know is heart rate variability, and I'll explain in a bit, and factoring this into our training plans. The science behind it sounds solid and the potential benefits sound compelling. So I'm surprised it's not something I've heard you talk about. So my question is simply, what do you think about HRV monitoring? I could ask a whole lot more questions about lag, approaching races, correlation with training, sleep, food, etc., but I'm sure it's something uh, you're interested in and you'll move on to that anyway. Uh, thanks in advance, John. So, I mean, great. Thank you for saying uh, you enjoy the podcast. Great to see that you've, you know, you've got the idea of doing Zone 1 and you can see how um, you, can, you can almost see that the guy who interprets time crunch is smashing everything isn't right. Because if people can realise that that isn't the right way to do it, then we're halfway towards actually people all people starting to train smarter. 
HRV-wise, it's been something that's been around. It was in very early Polar Heart monitors. They did actually monitor it, but it was often called like a recovery index. I can't remember. I think it's like RE index or RI index, something like that. I remember using it, but it was early days. The processor ability of the watches was quite... Um, it was just, doing, if you like, a very simple calculation to come up with what this HRV is. HRV itself, if you imagine you've got your heart rate is causing like an electrical signal and you've got what's called an ECG wave, okay, which is like the shape. Peaks. Of, peaks and troughs. Peaks yeah, and troughs. peaks and troughs. And it's got, um, there's got different parts of it. And the R is a certain part of the wave. Heart rate variability, I get my teeth in, is measuring between each successive R wave, okay? If you have a 60 beats per minute heart rate, that does not mean your heart beats exactly on the second. What you get is a variability that could be as low as maybe half a second sometimes, and it could be as high as a second and a half, depending on your body. And heart rate variability is doing some quite complicated maths on that variability to come up with a number and a rating for that person should they train shouldn't they i've got people on this i've seen the science i've recently read for those that subscribe to peak performance i've written about hrv but it's only recently that it started to gain momentum and i think that's because the science is catching up because now we understand do you know what we can look at the data we can look at the hrv and it is starting to tell us something and up to now, it's been really difficult to say to anybody, use HRV. I still think it's another tool. It's certainly not, oh, HRV is right, we've got to do X. Or, look, you're taping brilliantly because HRV says X. There's a lot of question marks for the individual as to how that heart rate variability, um, how it moves around. And it is very complicated. You might find somebody getting tired. Their HRV, the amount of variation in the heartbeat actually drops as the system to do with the, the various types of, um, if you like, uh, stresses within the body, just suppress that heart rate variability. So does a, sorry, Joseph, does a high heart, high HRV mean that you're more rested? Um, well, it de well, it depends. It's I actually, it yeah, varies. Yes, it it's interpreted. Variation. And then when people start to, um, start to look at, um, Mixing in diet, mixing in tapering or training hard, I think it just gives you another nudge. And I've had people, they've been very unwell coming back into small amounts of training and suddenly HRV says they're brilliant, they should crack on. I'm like, no, are you still coughing? And I hear cough, cough, cough down the phone. It's like, well, clearly you're not 100%. So it's, it's making an assumption that you're okay, but it's not measuring your uh, lungs or the amount of gunk that you're bringing up therefore even hrv is is not perfect it's like those that used to use you know before this came resting heart rate sit down take your resting heart rate oh it's dropped to 60 oh i must be quite fit at the moment two days later it might be 66 oh god it's gone up 10 percent. i must you know you could have had the heating on when you didn't need it you could have been in a different bed and it was hotter you know there's loads of reasons why heart rate might vary and hrv is the same and i think if you're going to use it use it as another tool but do not use it as the only one that's the gospel yeah because it there's there's certainly correlations but there are people that you know they can say Hand on heart, you know what, I'm still a bit tired, but oh, it's giving me the green light for go. Well, I suppose that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. I'm getting the green light for go. I can at least 
not say blimey it's showing me red but there's other instances where like i had a particular guy i can think back to this scenario because when um when this question came up uh, from Johnny, I did think about, right, what have I found with it? And I remember this guy had had three solid weeks. He was going into the fourth week, and instead of thinking, oh, it needs to be an adaptation, and we are planning adaptation, he sort of said, oh, yeah, but, you know, Monday, yeah, HRV is still pretty good. I was like, well, it will be. It'll be halfway through this week that you'll suddenly notice <clears throat> that um, your HRV starts to wane. Not only that, you start to say, oh, I'm really tired. So HRV still doesn't know. I think it's a bit like heart rate. There's plenty of people maybe listening to this and certainly um, Johnny's friend who sees every session as a, as a smash it up situation. His heart rate monitor tells him a number. He's still not interpreting that number as, you know what, that doesn't make sense. I need to back off. And HRV doesn't really have an absolute. You can get a trend in HRV that seems a bit counterintuitive. And then the athlete will say, yeah, actually, I have been a bit tired. I haven't been sleeping very well. And I have been stressed. And it's like, there you go. It is telling you something which you need to interpret, but it's not, it's not just a red, amber or green. It's just not that simple. So with, um, with the introduction to HRV, um, how do you get that reading? How, how would how okay. would reading become apparent? Most of them are done as like a first thing in the morning, put the heart rate chest strap on. Lots of phones, like your iPhones and your Androids, you can get a simple app that will pick up, as long as you've got a Bluetooth compatible heart rate strap, like some of the Garmin Premier, Premier Premium Friends. ones. Yeah. It will transmit it to your phone in um, Bluetooth mode. And it won't just transmit the heart rate because it isn't heart rate. It's not the heart rate it's measuring. It's measuring the, the variability. So the heart rate strap has to be HRV compatible. But if it is, it can send it. And you can look at your phone and after a two-minute lying down test, it will give you generally a colour as to where you're at. And it will give you... Um, I also get people to write down their resting heart rate because that can also give you an indicator, but it will often give you a number. It might be, you know, 72. Um, that number doesn't mean a lot until you see 72 compared to what you know was it was it 63 five days ago or is 72 you know the highest number you've ever had so I, I still think you have to interpret it but if you have the right actual actually polar or um garmin chest strap all you need to do is to get an app on your phone um some devices do it but it isn't just, oh, yeah, I've got a Garmin, I must be able to do it. Many of them don't transmit the actual HRV data. They'll transmit heart rate, but they won't transmit the RR, what's called the RR interval, the interval in milliseconds between the um, R wave in your ECG. And it does come across from lots of work done really as a way to try and use quite complicated ECG data to actually see whether somebody is... Uh, you know, recovering after surgery, whether they are, um, uh, you know, doing well fitness-wise. So HRV has a science to it that came before sport. Like many of the sciences, it's often in a health sphere and then it comes into sport. I think, John, it's worth certainly tracking it because it's another number that makes sense and it's not, it's not, shall we say, it's not quite so affected for the wrong reasons like resting heart rate 
you could have a low resting heart rate and that could just show you're tired and your body's literally just really, um, you know, you say, oh, I'm tired. Oh, I've got low resting heart rate. That must be good. Some resting heart rates that are low are not a good sign. And the same with heart rate variability. If the heart rate variability really starts to drop, you feel really tired and there's a lot of things not going right, then you you say, okay, this is not going right right now. Heart rate either resting or the heart rate variability is not working for me. So I've got to listen to all of these. And sometimes it's not even those numbers. It's somebody just literally coughing and hacking down the phone. And you're like, I don't need anything to tell me that you're unwell, you're unwell. But let's just track your heart rate. Let's track your HRV. Sometimes even track your fitness and say, get on the turbo, ride at, you know, ride 150 watts, let's see what your heart rate is. Because to get more data That's what means say, yeah. all of this can be useful in hindsight. And, and also, I suppose, if guys run training diaries and, and, and all of a sudden HRV is the thing that you want to look at, as well as your heart rate, your power, um, everything combined, you know, you can highlight a week or a couple of weeks where you've been ill and see, then you can start to develop patterns, I guess, yeah. that you're saying it's not the be-all and end-all, but it's nice to have another bit of information, but not yeah. to be so focused on it that you forget things like heart rate, mm. power, yeah. Or, yeah. or even just you know when your body's not right or your body feels good. You know, you can then mark these in, in a diary with mm. all the combined information. To, yeah. to, instead yeah. of making a guess that I put in inverted commas, yeah. it's it's... All the information you've got combined. Yeah, and it's not it's it, not yeah. it's not expensive information to get. It is still relatively cheap. Um, what's what's a premium Garmin forty five quid forty five quid for heart rate yeah. strap? The the phones will pick it up if the Bluetooth's turned on. So within minutes, buying one of those straps, or if you've already got one, you can be measuring your own HRV now, and it's a it's a data point, and because it's done each morning or the number of mornings that people can actually do that without jumping out of bed or um, forgetting the heart rate strap. I think it is useful. I have still had people doing this, but I don't roll it out to everybody because lots of people, I would say, are sensitive enough to know HRV almost intuitively because it's still not a number that you just believe. You've still got to use your intuition to say, what do I think's happening right now? And more times than not, it gives you a different depth of knowledge about what's going on in your body. But it doesn't often totally confuse because I think often it's like, oh, yeah, actually, I am getting a bit tired. Now you, now, you, now you tell me about possibly this could be the week to ease up. Yeah, do you know what? I have been a bit, oh, yeah, I've been losing sleep. And, yeah, the heart rate variability does actually, it has dropped, you know, three or four. And it's that sensitive a move. It's not often obvious that it's that, major but if it also tracks oh i'm feeling tired oh yesterday's session i had really bad technique because i really couldn't get my head around what i was doing then it all helps it's a it's a simple layer of data to put over it but i wouldn't get caught up in it as if it's going to be this miraculous number most of the time the easy stuff has to be um easy johnny the hard stuff certainly coming out of winter from when we get to you know, the January to February, March to April, that's when we start to, you know, turn the screw and make two, possibly three sessions a week harder. And you can feel when that's going well. And to track HRV, a bit like what the elite squads did with power is that they basically got the riders to get on and do what they were doing anyway. But to track the power and afterwards say, 
okay, what's going on? What we don't want is the Hawthorne effect, which is the moment you start watching something, you start immediately changing something, which means you may, you may be just confusing yourself. And I see this time and time again, people don't have consistency because they're always trying to find the new Messiah, the new thing to follow, the new this, the new that. Sometimes it's just about consistency. And as you have had consistency and you're getting faster and you can see, um, you know, as you've said, working wonders, I don't think training is that complicated people sometimes make it complicated because they're looking for something that's not there and they're looking for another 15 percent that isn't there therefore they could look at every wattage every hrv every swim stroke analysis every running shoe review in the world they're not going to find what they haven't got and i think hrv does not want to be an excuse for for almost imploding with data somebody said the other day and it was it's actually a, a very respected athlete that i know we were talking about things i don't coach them but we're talking and they were just like loads of people are just literally drowning in big data and i was like yeah if only they knew it that you know you can look at a heart rate session from you know from running you can look at somebody's you know swim efficiency or something and yeah there may be gains to be had but it's very rare that within these data plots be it hrv be it you know wattages having just done a bio racer aero with a ironman client yeah we found maybe 12 watts or so but it was worthwhile but it wasn't going to make a big difference but i think people sometimes look at the big data and think you're going to make these massive inroads and hrv does not want to be a reason for johnny or any other people to start literally as he said he's taking it seriously which is great but not start treating it like your you know team sky or olympic medalists and it really starts to take over your life if you can listen to your body carefully thus far all hrv is going to be is maybe an interesting sideline and there are some interesting podcasts out there about hrv and there are people that um, are looking at the research and the research is building up but it is definitely not an a plus b definitely equals c relationship it's a lot more jiggery pokery but with johnny i suppose are you saying that it's better to kind of have it as a program running in the background yeah and making notes and then yeah. maybe doing a little bit of a comparison to yeah. heart rate or power or yeah. but I, I do apologize I... if at any point i've said hrt <laughs> <laughs> i think you would have corrected <coughs> anyway, I yes think. i would um what we don't want is to is to overcomplicate if you do the right training i'll give you a scenario a chap recently probably in the last month did a you know corporate 5k got within about five percent of his best from the summer he had a good summer he, he pb'd he got really much improved so um that was him happy but he was only like five or six percent slower in the winter having just done a, a 5k in december and it was like yeah if you're in base training mode uh and you're consistent as he has been you're not going to be 25 percent off your ability next year you're already probably 10 percent or less off of your best then he goes and does a 10k in the past week and he's within seconds of his best last year okay um and it's like there you go you know over a longer distance you're actually showing that, you know, next year we can hope to get you into the 38s because you're doing a 39 now and you're doing it off of base training, running it, getting the pacing right, but you're not doing lots of speed work to try and get a PB in December. And so his might be, you know, another minute, minute and a bit off of 10K come next summer. 
But that's still a lot of work to get that, let's say, 80 seconds off. Let's predict 80 seconds comes off. But it's not like he's only doing base work now. He's, he's racing very, very, very occasionally. These might be the only two hard efforts, literally, of the whole winter. And yet he's still within his last 10 percentile of ability. And I think sometimes you've just got to let progress take you to wherever your potential is and don't scupper yourself by you know either getting too serious about oh no no i've got to go out and i've got to ride on 200 watts because if i i can't go out any easier than that or i'm not going to be good most of it is about just doing in this instance because he's triathlon his swim bike run being economical in the swim being you know aero and efficient and and very clued up as to your pacing on the bike and on the run, being able to stay injury-free and knowing how to turn the screw coming off the bike and, and run as fast as you can. But beyond that, it's very simple to train somebody. There are people that are doing the sport that are maybe not built for it. There are people that are trying to be a level that they're not capable of, but it's not actually hard to do. And if, and if you, Johnny, and other people do base work, you're going to be very close to your best. All you do as you come out of winter is start to ice that Fine. and find the last three or five, six, seven percent. And there was an interesting study that was done. They base trained everybody. They started doing intervals in January and they got about six, seven percent ish out of them by the time they got to March. 12 weeks of intervals. Yeah, they got seven percent. They wouldn't just kept going with another seven and another seven and another seven. Um, and lots of people find that they just come out of winter and get quicker. But if they only add 7% on, they were 93% of their ability anyway. And I think that's, that can be sometimes, that can be the difficult part of this part of winter. So it is, you know, it's been dark for I don't know how many hours now, probably two and a bit hours. But it's, um, it's one of those things whereby people are probably closer to their best for right now and therefore, just enjoy it because you're not going to get another three percent that's just going to compound on another three and another three. Most very good people are already born very, very good. They just got to train to get there. And you shouldn't ever take it so serious that the the HRVs, the data points, the the excessive money that you spend starts really taking away from your enjoyment. Because if you enjoy it and you can nudge yourself. Perhaps you can qualify. Perhaps you can be doing you know, the right training. I think you can actually, you can get somewhere that some people won't get to, but they are literally drowning underneath this data looking for something that's not there. I right. do get off my soapbox now. No, no, no. I, 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 I mean, I know you like it as well. I like figures. I like information. Um, and... I think if you do start to concentrate on one group or and not the other, everything should be running in the background. You know, you could, yeah. if you're important, yeah. maybe your important figures are, you know, your heart rate or your power, um, and then little things can run in the background pretty mm. much. The same with HRV, I think, is it'll be quite interesting to find out how further we are down the line with it maybe in a year's time maybe in six months time mm. you know most of the kit that you will be able to buy when it comes to fitness um uh, fitness diagnostics i think is probably the best way to describe it is is kind of the the progression of this hrv thing so yeah, yeah. The reason, there's certainly research out there and i, I wrote um on uh, on on some of the research um in terms of uh, really for, for peak performance, where are we at with HRV? Um, and there was something, there was one of the studies I picked up, which was somebody's, um, 
It was, a, it was a degree, Masters of Science, from Kansas State University by a guy called... Oh, that was um, um, Minutes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Well done, Martin. You can read over my shoulder. <laughs> um, it was Nutrition and Athletic Performance, Implications of Heart Rate Variability. So, you know, this guy looked into it, and this was, this was you know, four or five years ago. Um, and it was, you know, it kind of almost says... Um, it, it almost, uh, well, I'll read you the last bit. Much more research needs to be done in regard to potential nutritional influence on HRV so that sports dietitians feel confident in the methods currently used to assess readiness and determining what types of nutrition strategies may be used further to improve performance of an athlete. Because that's, that's another window into yeah. HRV, isn't it? It's not just the fact that maybe you concentrate more from a fitness point of view, but also from a nutritional health and a nutritional help I suppose yeah, yeah. Really and this is you know this is it, I, I got it you know I got it online it's like a, a 50 page paper yeah. with how much you know the guy's got like you know 80 88 um 88 uh research studies that he's cited as part of it so it's no quite quite in depth but that's his you know that's his um I think it's his master's thesis but if you're doing triathlon, you don't have to start reading master's theses in order to kind of think, can I get better at this, better at that? I, I think experience goes a huge way because until you start realising how you can train within your life um, uh, almost like parameters and within your body's history of has it been always injured has it been fit do you do you have great opportunities outside your door you're going to have to create you know the super duper indoor place because you can't train outdoors a lot i mean there's so there's so much that doesn't really uh get measured that is the important factor behind why some people are more effective than others and i think if you enjoy the training what will be will be you know you may well and uh possibly could crack age group qualification. You might find you can't do it over sprint, um, but you go up to middle distance and somehow you've got better endurance, perhaps deal with core temperature increases, perhaps the bike segment being proportionally a bit longer is a more of an advantage. You know, there's so many things that aren't just obvious about whether somebody can qualify. But great question, Johnny, and it's something that I am definitely um, not only having already written about it and using it with athletes, but I'm on it, but I think, I just think we have to wait. Still a little bit out. I just think we have to just say, yeah, yeah, it's out there, it might help, and that I'm sure I'm working with somebody with some software, and they're, they're working HRV into it because they want to be able to tap into this, saying, oh, we could start doing some diagnostics on HRV, and if you can try to start to do some complicated analysis of the HRV coupled with other factors, you could then start to say, ah, we should be able to predict how somebody's HRV varies. Great question. It's a good question. With Great question. Um, with hopefully some uh, some more information coming along, eventually. And I think Martin, you might have a uh, another question for us. I have indeed. Um, is that from Michael? This is from Mike Laxton. Yeah. Um, so uh, Mike would like to ask a question. Hi Joe. For 2017, I'm looking to go shorter. Uh, well, to be short, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking to go shorter, backwards from most as they develop uh, slash age, I know, and race more sprint distances. I'm 32 and enjoy racing fast and often and had some great results this year. The best being third at the Snowman Sprint Tribe in Snowdonia in July. I'm looking to build on this and to go for the win this year. 
But given the shorter distance, I was wondering if you'd suggest a slightly different approach when it comes to uh, what to focus on in training. Does the 80-20 rule still apply when racing such short distances? Or should I look to switch some of my sessions away from zone run, zone one, work into high intensity threshold sessions, question mark. I'm also looking to hit the gym over winter to build some solid strength to prevent injury and a foundation to increase speed. Are there any specific weight based exercises that I should work on to achieve this? Thanks in advance, Mike. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Exactly what mixture somebody needs to do to be better. If he's going for sprint, then he clearly needs to work at high intensity. Um, there's, there's not a, oh, you've got to turn it on its head because sprint is, let's say, an hour's worth of racing. So it's still not, um, it's still, you know, sprint isn't, oh, I've got to become a sprinter because they do 100 and 200 metres in in you know sub 10 and sub 20 seconds sprint is still no it's a one hour aerobic multi-discipline event so you still need as much base as you can get and if you're getting third you've got a further distance to fall than you ever have to rise so you have to be very careful that you don't change too many things and uh, basically rock the apple cart there's lots of things you must be doing right mike and maybe Maybe it's not that people think about doing more intensity. I think it's maybe making sure you recover well to be able to deliver perhaps better intensity than you have before. Don't start any earlier. Don't think you're going to do, you know, four or five sessions a week high intensity. Look at your mixture, which, you know, maybe was two or three high intensity sessions per week. Most weeks you might have an adaptation week where you, you soften those up to, you know, to just a threshold or a very short type effort look how long it took you to get your peak was it relatively short um also look to see how well you recover because you've obviously trained very hard to get to third check you've recovered and that you use your strength training work in the winter to be your hard work and build that base i like the idea of building base and strength work not having lots of lots of threshold work and stuff like that. Cause like, look, we know where your threshold is going to be. It's not going to just keep going and going and going up. The fact you're at third, um, you don't say how many seasons you've been racing for, but let's say you've been racing for a few seasons. Your threshold's not going up and up and up and up. It's more likely to keep injury at, at bay to be one of your priorities. It's more likely to make sure you know how many events you need to hit your key peak. So do you need a couple of other sprint races in the buildup? and see that a lot of things must have gone right in 2016, but I wouldn't turn things upside down. The best guess is that three high quality sessions per week is probably enough for most people. Um, and after three, four months of developing, you're probably already hitting your peak anyway. So to think you're going to add on and add on and add on, as I say, you've, you've probably got a good uh, engine Maybe there's some technical things that could be tweaked. Um, I don't know the exact um, uh, ice. Was it Iceman? It's Snowdonia. Snowman. Yeah, Snowman. Yeah, I don't know that. And I know I've, I've trained people for the Sandman, but I don't know the Snowman. Um, there might be things there that relate to you know needing you know a light a lighter bike, needing better shoes to run off road. Um, 
you know, things where you look at the event and think, what further technological tweaks can I make to possibly improve uh, my performance? And I think, yes, work on strength. Make sure you look at a whole body exercise regime where you start and you gradually build. You don't have to be at your strongest for another three or four months yet. So you can slowly add on resistances to start from 12 and 12 rep max and gradually bring that down over weeks so you're eventually hitting six to eight rep max maybe by february march so you're strong at that point you perhaps don't feel very fast but you'll feel faster february march and april uh, i don't know when the race was in 2016 and when it's going to be july you know july you've, you've got such a long way the last thing you want to do do some base work, get to February and go, blimey, here comes the race season. I'm going to have to turn this on my head. I'm going to have to suddenly drop all the base work, start hammering every second session through the week and only find that you peak and you, unfortunately, are in a trough by the time you get to July. So to look at 2016, a lot of things must have been right. And maybe, you know, sprint try, it is... It is lactate tolerance. Potentially look at uh, supplements that can help with lactate buffering. Look at your diet so you can actually make sure that your um, acid alkali balance is better for dealing with high intensity racing. Even the you know the one hour hour record cyclists always did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of base work. And recently the um, hour record that. Alex Dowsett announced he was going to do, he still said he's going to go on the track less and do more road work this time round. And that was always the case. They did the road work and then they did the hour record at the end. Why? Because they just got lots of strength and lots of aerobic base. And I think, don't think you're going to find, you know, another 10% by really cutting back. Make your high intensity specific, but also make sure that you, um, you, uh, I guess you just, you know, don't don't rush at it. You've got all the way to July. It's a different world between now and July. I mean, you think now, July, 20 past seven, I mean, you can be starting a Thursday night time trial at 25 past seven, not thinking, crikey, it's dark outside and you and I are falling asleep at the microphone thinking, crikey, this feels really late in winter. I think we acknowledge that in the summer you can be fitter. You can do much better high-intensity work, but the person that does too much through the winter gets to summer and they cling on to a performance that should have been easy and they don't add to the performance because they've already made it too hard to do that. Yeah, but like you said with Mike, you know, if he's got... I get reading into this and kind of thinking his third at the snowman was a bit of a surprise Do you think so? for him. I think so. Uh, but by the sounds of it, he's obviously coming. But he's he's coming down to uh, sprint distances. But yeah. but you were saying, I guess his training is almost there or thereabouts, judging by the fact that he's you know he's got a third and hasn't trained specifically for it. I think yeah. that's the thing is people then get obsessed going well surely if I did a little bit more yeah. a little bit more intensity <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. I've, I'll, I'll get that extra but by the looks of it he's he's kind of there or thereabouts but just like you said just needs to fine tune it maybe there's more to be lost isn't there than to gain than to gain yeah you are right, yeah. you are right. and I, I'm I'm more of a of a sort of sprint pool based sprint stuff is definitely more my thing and short time trials than ever longer and I've always found I have to train to do the longer but the shorter high intensity is actually relatively easy 
but you don't necessarily okay you do longer hours to do those long races but i wouldn't say to him oh you're doing a short race it's sprint oh don't do any base work you still should be doing you know two hour rides to build enough aerobic uh endurance mitochondria neural adaptations all the reasons why you do it but you don't have to do it multiple 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 times you can probably with a if you're doing a sprint and it's you know, assuming it follows the, the natural three-ish miles for the sprint distance, yeah, you want to probably spend up to maybe six, maybe seven miles as your longest run, but that's it. You don't have to do mega distances. You don't have to, you know, have to run a half marathon in February, March and April in order to have the strength endurance. You're still on your feet for probably shy of 20 minutes. You're biking for something over half an hour and you're, you're swimming for maybe, you know, depending on the exact sprint distance, you know, 10 minutes plus or minus. So it's quite short and sharp. But even the people that do those events train for hundreds of hours to be aerobically fit. And I think he's just got to watch that as he comes down distance. He doesn't think it's all about high intensity. It's actually not. It's, you could argue it's more about making sure you stay aerobically fit. Because why do you go from aerobic and gradually increase the lactate which slows you down is the aerobic system starts to run out of its capacity to work it doesn't it doesn't work from the top down it works from the bottom up so if you keep that aerobic base there you've clearly got a good skill level and maybe year on year you can just be even more savvy about your pacing your transitions your bike which is always a place where you can definitely buy performance and you look at thinking that over sprint distance is literally, can I get the helmet on quick enough? Uh, you know, are my shoes easy entry? Can I jump on and run, you know, and run at a transition, land on my bike and be pedaling before some people have even got themselves wedged up against a barrier, one foot over the top tube and eventually clipped in. And I think that's the, that's the difference is that you start refining the small bits. You're fit enough to do it. You maybe just have to be very specific about losing time during the race through those little things that don't make any difference in an Ironman, whether you, whether you, you know, can't get out of transition quickly, but in a sprint, you don't want to be faffing with a pair of shoes, spend 30 seconds trying to get them on, think 30 seconds, that means I have to take 10 seconds a mile off of what I was already going to do. Well, you can't because you're already running as fast as possible. Mm. So equipment, especially transitions and race knowledge of the course is vital because you, you can't really just go with the flow you have to know every you know every drain cover every bend in the road for running every bit of where can you finally empty yourself out in the last bit of the run knowing that the um the race is just around the corner as opposed to oh if only i'd known the race was you know the race was a bit closer i could have started running faster sooner well that might make two three four five seconds difference but if you're in the top three you're starting to look at those seconds to think, I want to win, and have I got it? And be realistic. One, two, or three. How close is one, two, and three? Sometimes number one, if they turn up, could still have the raw materials to put a minute, two minutes, three minutes into you. Be realistic about you cannot control who turns up. So aim at, don't aim at their times, because you can't do their times. You've got to do your times better. And I think that's where people get it wrong. They cite their mates' times instead of, no, look at what you're doing. If you go as fast as you can and you make improvements, you may well be able to catch that person, but you cannot set their 
starting point as where you're going to train to because you haven't done it yet and there's no reason for you automatically to be able to do it unless somewhere you lost massive time in transition you you know really didn't know the course and afterwards say oh i could go a bit quicker there knowing what to do but don't set their time as right i have to swim at that speed because that's what they did i think you have to try to improve your methods because you can't be those other people and it's the silliest thing if you're good enough you'll get to number one by improving what you do you can't set yourself their goals and train to do them because if you train effectively too fast in the swim and the bike you can't do it in the run if you've already spent yourself you might on paper look like ah oh, you were with them up to transition but what happened on the run you might have your worst run and therefore drop from third to fifth actually having come off the bike almost in second do you know what i mean yeah. so i think don't set other people's goals different if somebody's a That's professional a for you yeah imagine. because you may not have their raw materials you've come third but just make sure that I suppose just make sure that you're keeping an eye on your target. And if you were all within 20 seconds, then work on your transitions because you could have it. But if there was four minutes difference over those three places, you've still got a lot of work to make up. And you need to do what you can do from the beginning you start the swim to the point where you're crossing the run. And there's often a lot of places in triathlon to find gains because you have two separate transitions you have a bike in the middle that can make you quicker you have swimming that can be you know you can draft people you can get out the water quicker depending on whether it's open water or pool you don't see that but you know there's, there's loads of places sometimes when people are doing simple things like time trials up and down roads the only thing they can do to go faster is find faster roads because they've got everything else done mm. whereas with this you've got so much scope in triathlon for looking back over 2016 saying yeah i got third but if I could have done something, what would I do? Not just go harder, because clearly you were racing anyway. And most of us that race know we couldn't have gone harder. If they could, they're not racing. And I hate that. Oh, I wonder if I could have gone harder. Never say that to yourself. Do harder and then afterwards think, I could not have done a second better. But always look at triathlon and break it down afterwards to find out whether you could have done things, you know, just smarter, sometimes warming up better. If you're at a sprint race, I'd be on a turbo trainer warming up or out on the road. I would not just get in and think, oh, I'll get out of the swim, I'll be fine. It's it's only a 12-mile bike. You should be warmed up on the turbo, ready to engage your muscles out the water at the desired power. There's there's loads of places. That's that's why people come to me to say, I want to go fast over Ironman, over sprint or whatever, to tease out the seconds and the minutes is really good fun. But enjoy the process. See whether you can improve across the disciplines and... Um, you never know. You might be second, you might be first, you might be fifth, because even better people turn up. But I wouldn't go bonkers with high-intensity training. Yeah, so by the looks of it, reading back, um, Mike's come from probably Olympic distance triathlon. So his base would have been solid, I guess, for yeah. for, for that kind of training and kind of ventured to the dark side of the uh, the shorter, more uh, uh, painful uh, parts of triathlon, like the sprints. Um it's like you were saying it's all it's there but there should there shouldn't be anything so massively drastic changed there because you kind of then if for instance you know michael probably only just wants to put a little like you said a little bit more icing on the mm. cake and, mm. and maybe that would be the difference but like you said you know it's, it's easier to it's easier to fall than it is to uh 
you know, to to then gain those mm. firsts or that seconds. But particularly with that with that rise to try and get better, mm. it all starts to get really silly and serious. And then they start, you know, they start turning up really intense at races and start being it's like, well, you know what, your performance is going to happen. Just turn up, be focused on what you're going to do, but. Ain't going to change the world if you come first next year. And I hate to say that sometimes. The people could kind of think you're, you know, you're belittling what to do. No, no, no. Do your best, but don't take it out of context because you can be so focused that something different's going to happen and it's just going to be same old Monday morning, maybe get a write up in the newspaper. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. And 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 if if a lot of things have had to be moved or compromised, it's just not worth it. Your performances can be I think it's gonna be fun to keep it fun because very focused people can still have a laugh, enjoy it, race well, and then afterwards go, yeah, that was, that was good. I, I did it all well, and I can walk away from it. It's when somebody's looking for something that isn't there, or they've got to be first. Well, that's fine if your name's you know, uh, Wiggins or it's Keenley or it's, you know, Chrissy Wellington or, you know, top people became the top people, but loads of people, thousands of people behind them didn't make the top. And some of them struggled to try and get even within spitting distance. And it's all right when you see what winners get, but what you can see sometimes is some broken people that have effectively lost or not got their top performance. They really do lose out if everything was put on the line you know, you've got to try, but you've got to try and keep it um, fun. It is your hobby. There's no professional contract on the line. There's no change of income as a result. You're 32. You're not going to become a professional at this. But you treat it as a good, you know, weekend sport in the summer. And I think if you do it smart, the great thing is, is that you don't have to be the person that's out there training 20 hours. You don't have to be over the serious about it being you know really important yeah it's, it's important to you but you know the other six billion people on the planet won't really worry about it and the way i look at it is it's just a calorie deficit to uh well i say calorie deficit it aids a calorie deficit otherwise i'd spend all my time maybe in the pub or the bakery <laughs> or both or both yeah yes if only that's yes a, that's, that's a dream great question mike thank you yours and johnny's questions they were they were corkers mm. I'm looking at your list. I was going to start on the the gossip, the room, and stuff like that. But I want to. I want to. I want you to get your list out. I would. I would say you go with your gossip and rumours, right? Because um, mine isn't really gossip, and it isn't. Really okay, well, I don't think mine's gossip rumours. It's just the heading we got at the top of the plan. We should at least make something up, shouldn't yeah. we? Yeah. Okay. Gossip and rumour. Um, so for those that uh, you could be a triathlete that wants to do some time trialing, you could be a time trialist that listens to this. You could be a sportive rider that wants to have a go at uh, breaking that one hour for 25 miles. Um, have you done that? Yes. Have you? I have done it on our course, <laughs> but I've also got an hour dead twice. All right. But and you're not... talking dead. Yes. The zeros. All the zeros. All the zeros. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Twice. Um, twice. In the same season. Yeah. There is, there's a couple of new, well, there is a, I'm going to say there's a rule, but it was being um, discussed on, in a recent uh, CTT um, annual meeting of, uh, of, of, should we say recommendations and things to be changed. And um, one of them was about what's called the three centimetre rule. I think whenever we talk about the CTT, yeah. we should, and any form of ruling, we should talk quite nasally. <laughs> 
I think you're fine. I think you're fine. Yeah. Well, that's fine. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a three centimetre so, rule. So the three, so the three centimetre rule is okay. Imagine looking at your bike, and if you draw a line straight down through the um, I always call it the headset, the bearings, the, the steering axle, the steering. where your fork goes up into the frame. If you draw a line straight through that as if it was following from the top of your stem down towards the um, axis of the fork, what you notice is firstly the axis of your fork is ahead of that straight line. There's a bit of what's called rake. But there is a rule attempting to be brought in, uh, or, or should we say clarified, whereby if you took that line further up and it went up through the centre of the stem cap, and it's difficult with certainly integrated bikes like the, you know, the plasmas, the trinities, the canyons and stuff, because exactly where the steering axis is, is not easily determined, your... Um, back of your elbow, and I've not got the piece of paper here with the exact definition of this point, but the, the bony uh, chromium bit at the back of your elbow shouldn't be th more than three centimetres ahead of that line going up through the steering axis, okay? And that's measured at a, vertic at a vertical, at a horizontal point from behind the elbow. So if you had the back of your elbow on your uh, tri bars and you drew from there backwards a horizontal line of three centimeters that should dissect the axis of the steering okay those aren't technical i've just lost you but those that are will, will be with me uh it's tricky with some people to straight away see that you know what you may well be ahead of this um axis it's hard to know how this will specifically be policed and it may only be in open events rather than club events. But straight away, a couple of bikes that uh, myself, actually, Nick earlier looked at and we measured and we went, they're not good, they wouldn't get through. And I think it's to stop people overstretching. But it may be that people that have no qualms about riding their bike in a triathlon may find. Um, difficulties entering an open event which is an open event you enter um, online prior to the event whereas club events you turn up and pay your money and ride that evening or sometimes even that day they may maybe weekend days as well um, so that three centimeter rule looked uh, or looked it was part of the uh, things to be discussed as was the idea of having to wear a full safety helmet as people in um, triathlon have to do so uh, possibly having to have a rear led light flashing as you race in time trials but one thing that has happened is that the cycling attire on the top of your body um, has changed such that in club events so your triathlete you go along to your local cycling club and say can i do your time trial you could turn up with a sleeveless tri top and you're now allowed to ride there was a rule that was there for many years that said you have to ride with something that goes halfway between your elbow and your shoulder you had to cover up part of your shoulder um why lord only knows that's still in effect in the open events so the more serious, often faster, often more, should we say, uh, yeah, just more competitive um, time trials, it is still 
that you have to cover up your shoulder. But in club events, if you turned up with a tri top and you didn't, you know, you didn't have a, a tight fitting cycling top to racing, you don't have a specific um, suit, uh, you would be OK to do it. But as I see it, more and more triathletes are wearing suits down to the elbow. Certainly the mid and long course athletes doing half and full distance Ironman, they have suits that go down to their elbow, so they'd automatically be okay. But if you if you like you you know you cut down sort of um, more of a sprint distance tri top uh, or tri vest, um, you can wear it in a club event. Settled there, no. And I don't know what the outcome of these uh, rules are. I think it was put to a vote. I don't know what that is. I haven't been able to check up on whether they've changed it or not. But some of these things do you know, clearly affect riders uh, that may or may not be aware of it. Most people I've spoken to don't even know about the three centimetre rule. And it was in effect, but it had some looseness in its, in its um, definitions. But also we were saying, well... You know, do you have to define it at the point where the person's aero bar is in place and they've got their hands on the levers? Because there's plenty of people that ride in one position and they reach forward, change gear and put their arm back again, which is not right for ergonomics because you should have your hand where you can change gear. You shouldn't be moving forwards and backwards on the bars. And it didn't state that in the rule. And it should state, you know, from a, if you like, from a point where most people on tri bars have bar end shifters. That's why they've got a tri bar and a time trial is to be able to, change gear and not move out of position and particularly with the electronic ones like the um shram and the uh, di2 you can just press a button or two and just change gear and not have to even reach a lever but it doesn't define what the back of your elbow point is it doesn't say when holding x yeah, but also with the, the point of view is you can have one position to get measured in one position to start in then race in a more aero position yeah. and then come back and finish in a you know in in the the starting position as it was so there's, absolutely there's, you know there's nothing to stop you from changing position while you're out on the course no but anyway it's out there and i will hopefully by episode 151 be able to give updates on that and potentially any other rulings that have changed i don't know of technical rules that have changed in in other sports um i was going to ask you do you know if the Sportif ban on disc brakes is still in effect. Uh, I was I was aware that it was on the continent, right? Not in the UK. Yeah. So people. Um, yeah. So I, I think that was only covering Spain and France. France I'm yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but reading an article yesterday um, about the UCI wanting to ban the weight limits on bikes, they think would then get rid of the need to have disc brakes which I didn't really get. I didn't really get the argument there. Oh, no, sorry, the question was asked, would it mean that the disc brakes then wouldn't be available oh. in, the, in, in the, the pro peloton? Because effectively you can make a, a... Having a lighter bike that doesn't stop is more of an advantage than having a, a bike yeah. that's kind of... Uh, it does stop, I suppose, and a little bit heavier. So, yeah, so I'd, I'm, uh, as far as I'm aware, then, yeah, yeah they're, they're still not accepted in sport teams okay. at all. But. And I know just from a personal point of view, because I am one of the people behind uh, No Pins, and hence why uh, we are a part of the podcast, is that we've been able to um, clarify that the No Pins pocket is allowed to be used by pro tour teams next year. We know that. But they're also changing a few other technical rules with regards to the frames, 
some of the clothing things as well. Uh, and it does seem to be across all these sports, you can't be head in the sand and just ignore the rules. I mean, it's amazing. Sometimes in, I guess even in triathlon, people don't realise they can't jump off the bike, start running and unclip the helmets. It's quicker when they get there. They have to rack their bike. Once the bike's racked and you've let go of it, you can then unclip your helmet. And the silliest of things, if somebody wanted to be a right um, a right blazer, they could, you know, DQ you in your first ever triathlon that you do. They DQ you because you put your hand on your helmet. You know, you're not even allowed to touch it. Um, and I think it's always be aware, as much as you don't want rules because it's your sport, it's your playtime, it's your weekend activity, there are rules that apply. And it could be, silly as we think about it, it could be down to medication that you take for colds and things like that people have had some awful slip-ups when they've just assumed that oh it's my playtime i can do anything i want i think you need to be a bit aware of the ramifications of entering you know like the sportiest people getting abroad suddenly finding they, you know they're on a bike they can't ride because they didn't check whether or not it was uh, okay to take a bike with uh, discs on it so i think be aware these are only the few instances i know of rules changing but they are changing all the time. They're definitely changing with regards um, to uh, certainly the technical side of bikes. There's a few technical changes with um, swimming in triathlons and down to the elbow suits. And just, you know, it's because innovation is always out there to try and eke out more performance. There also has to be a moving line that defines where the rules are because we've moved on and every time somebody thinks of a clever idea they've got to move the rules or define them a little bit more precisely otherwise people would just be you know turning up on things that you know you've got to have certain you've got to have two breaks in a in a triathlon you um because you can't ride a fixie whereas in a time trial you could have one front brake and be riding a fixed gear and that could effectively be your rear brake so there's you know there's all these differences and some people didn't know you couldn't ride a fixed gear bike in a triathlon and they just want to turn up and ride it on a fixie because they, they want to ride it and not something with a no i'm on about a proper fixed bike as opposed to a fixie where you've got the option to flip it between fixed and uh single speed flip flop flip flop mm. um what else then um all it all it was funny enough as i was thinking today um we get a, a lot of guys come in that want their and their, girls and, and they get sorry, girls too i mean guys as in the guys. Oh, the guys. Not as in guys, as in gents. But we have a lot of people come in that now want to put their kind of their their best race bike to bed, pretty much. So, and and they were asking me you know, the best tips. You know, after a service, if it's been a a bike that you only use for racing, then majority of the time it's normally pretty good nick. Yeah. But a lot of people are. You know, where, where money is tight these days, their, their race bike, they train on the turbo just to get used to the position. And luckily, most of it's used in the um, in indoors or in the good weather. Um, so they were just asking little tips or little things that possibly they should be looking for, um, you know, when they come to put their bike to bed. So whether they pack it away, um, you know, something some kind of guideline i suppose is probably the uh the, the way to go so i just wrote down a few bits and bobs so far away with your special list martin my list um you know do maintenance and bike pack away i've put you know things that need to be checked when um when either if the bike has been serviced most of this should have been picked up anyway but certain things that people tend to miss out are tires so if you have race wheels with tires on 
check those tires you know are they flat have they big nicks in you know are they are they have they squared off because you've been using it on the turbo or you know is there certain elements of the wheel that need to be looked at you know is the wheel true um the biggest problem that we get in is bearings when the when the wheel's actually on the bike and you're pedaling you can very very rarely feel any problem with the wheels okay until you kind of stop pick the wheel up and spin it and then you can feel like a distinct rumble through the through the frame a bit of vibration so you know things like that bearings would need to be replaced all of this kind of adds to um a bike that's not well loved not well looked after um which could possibly and i do state possibly fail or you know hinder you from finishing a race or finishing that top 10 top 20 you know getting your best result and something silly that's just kind of failed or a component that's failed on the bike so um so i've written maintenance kind of bike pack away so you're looking at tires wheels uh, bearings um things like wear and tear on chains cassettes uh, chain rings you know, if a chain is stretched to a certain degree, it will wear everything else out, which yeah. is an expensive bill. Um, now, I know we do have a tendency to go through maintenance um, issues slash um, problem solving this time of year, but I think kind of reiterating is, is just a, a little bit of a help to maybe take your mind off of the fact that it's coming into Christmas. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, some of us have probably already overeaten and I'd kind of hold my hand up already. Um, there's still plenty more to be done. Um, so things like chain and cassette are a biggest, again, another big, big issue that we get at bottom brackets. You know, there's so many different types and the bottom bracket is where the chain set sits on your bike. There's two bearings or a set of bearings inside that that make the, the chain set rotate, that keep it nice and smooth. You, again, don't feel it because the chain is running on the chain ring, causes a bit of vibration. You're on the road pedaling. You haven't got time to notice this. But if you knock that chain off or take the chain off and spin the crank, sometimes you hear this hollow, metallic, dry sound. Mm. Uh, There's a bit of movement. Needs a new bottom bracket. Um, So things like that. If you are packing a bike away, um, it hangs up in your garage, it sleeps in your spare room, it sleeps in the bed with you, whatever, um, then that bike needs to be looked after. It needs to be packed away. Sounds like it is being looked after if it sleeps in the bed with you. Um, You know, if it's going in a garage, then uh, it's quite nice just to give it a nice bike spray over completely. Um, That includes um, lubing the chain, the cassette. You know, you can actually put it all over the bike and trying to stay away from the braking surfaces as well. Um, Things like aero pads, you know, if you've got pads on there that, again, you train indoors with, we get a lot of bikes that come in and it's a turbo bike. Yeah. The tape, the bar tape and the pads stink. (laughs) It's absolutely awful. So it will get to a point where they will disintegrate. Particularly, I must say, particularly as I often take people's aero bar pads off to play with, positioning and head position and stuff and it's you take that pad off and yes it it either needs to be washed or thrown away that can also be severely compressed particularly on the side that people don't drink on if you drink on the right you'll notice you're always leaning on your left Left. bar on your left bar but also the fact that underneath if you haven't been checking those bolts underneath your pads can be really rusty well they they fur up effectively you produce sweat um in that sweat is is salt you know, so try and cover your bike as well if you are using it on a turbo trainer because you, you'd be surprised at the amount of horrific damage that sweat mm. will do to frames, uh, paintwork, 
aluminium bolts or any kind of bolt really um so little things like that to be checking on again you can take these pad covers off spray the bike all over um you know you can even spray it on the bolts it's not going to hurt it um it leaves a nice waterproof film on there it's then kind of corrosion proof um it's also weatherproof you know not all garages are warm dry you know most of them are horrifically damp places but you know that's kind of the, the way it is. Um, so I've just put little comments like that on there. Also, your other kit, which, you know, all right, we're sat in a bike shop. I work in a bike shop. Um, you know, my my world roughly evolves around bikes and being in bike shops. So, you know, it, but you've also got things like trainers. You've also got things like cycling shoes. You've got goggles. You've got, you know, uh, swimming kit. If If that swimming kit is looking tired then, you know, maybe it's time for a change. Maybe spruce yourself up and buy yeah. a new number for 2017. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and things like trainers, that was always my biggest, biggest thing when I was doing um, either triathlon or running, was I always had a new set of trainers, either A, ready to go, or within, if it was a training set, within three or four months was a new set of trainers. Touch wood, I've never, ever suffered from any injuries from, you know, ligaments knees hips backs you know. that's because you're young martin well i used to be um so little things like that may may need looking at you know you can look at the bottom of a trainer and go oh i've had my money's worth out of those oh but they're so comfortable eventually that will bite you yeah it will bite you in in, in the backside and that whether that be uh, an alignment issue an injury issue you know um even something as daft as i'm going out running it's a little bit frosty you slip because of lack of grip you know that pulls and twangs a muscle that's a couple of weeks that you're not training so maybe something to have a look at um the other bits and bobs that i've written down are, are cleats and pedals um you know are they worn do they engage properly um you know the last thing you need to, is to break a cleat whilst doing an ironman and you can't pull up on the pedal because your foot just keeps disengaging keeps coming out so you know you're not going to be able to get the power down so something as simple as a, a 17 to 20 quid pair of cleats yeah bolted back onto your shoe uh, joe does a nice little thing where he just marks if you've got no line markings, you can normally see the outline of the cleat anyway. But if you just have a little draw around, whether it be with a um, in debt with a um, permanent pen, yeah, whether a permanent pen. If you're that if you're that worried that your shoes are amazing pieces of kit and you don't want to ruin them, even just uh, a couple of dots or uh, a pencil, maybe draw around with a pencil. At least you can see it. Um, and then kind of uh, put the new ones on. Um, after that, I've how long does this list go on for? By the way, well, I so I'm just, I'm just just aware of time. I've taken the uh, I've taken the time to write this out, even though you can't <laughs> read it. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to just put out there was um, we seem to uh, be increasingly um, busy with things like electric bikes. Now these are electric assisted bikes, assisted bikes, not yeah. uh, bikes that have hidden motors in them all right so you can buy these hidden motors I've, I've, i know where to buy them we can get them if you <laughs> i know where to buy i know where to buy them i can get you some um you know it, uh, these are proper electric um powered bikes with a huge battery on them they are they're they're, they're they're big beasts but they are a lot of fun and there's a serious element of of training involved in them because you still have to pedal the thing and you still have to power it. Um, 95% of the people we get in and chat about uh, e-bikes or electric bikes um, say it's cheating. Uh, until you've actually ridden one, 
you'll just find that it, it is a proper workout, but you're just able to go further. Or if you want, you can put less effort in and go and have a really nice kind of two-hour ride. So, you know, another option for people's uh, um, kind of enjoyment of cycling might be looking at uh, things like electric bikes or electric you can get normal bikes that are electrically assisted now. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of them do actually look like electric bikes, but it's getting to the stage now where, you know, some of them have hidden motors, but they are obviously electric, electrically right, okay. powered yeah, uh, road right. bikes uh, and hybrids. So um, just another thing that I wanted to put out there for people to kind of, people do scoff at it and kind of go, well, no, it's cheating, it's, it's cheating. Um I've been fortunate enough to go and ride a few um, and I pretty much moaned almost most of the way around because it was quite hard work to, to do until you came to the hill and you could, could adapt the power and put it into a faster mode and, and, and off you go. But for commuting, um, you know, even if you, this time of year, you have to kind of treat your family or treat your partner and go, right, we go away for a week in December or January. You know, it's nice to have these little electric bikes to have a little spin yeah. round on. I think I, I spoke actually with Nick and with somebody else about how it allows people that are less fit to get on a bike and to be riding with fit people. It's also still getting somebody on a bike. And there's been so many... What's that obstacles to riding? You know, now we have more infrastructure. There is better gear. Um, 20, 30 years ago, it was literally the hardcore people that could put up with being very cold and miserable on quite tatty, ragged bikes. And I think the advantage of electric bikes is it gets more people to be able to go further or, or be with their friends who are fitter, but who they'd like to ride with, but they just, you know, they might be losing fitness, they might have had ill health, they might just be significantly older, but want to go back on routes that they did before. And I can see the huge benefit of it because it's just extending, you know, because if you go down the route of, oh, well, it's a bit cheated, it's like, well, okay, we all better sell our, you know, sell our cars, just ride bikes, and let's see, um, let's see how I manage to get to uh, ride to Bristol for, for a business meeting in a week's time, because that would be pretty tricky. And then how do I get three kids to their grannies? And stuff like that i mean if you take this if you take this oh it's electric motor to its final conclusion it's like no don't don't think that because you ride a bike and it hasn't got a motor you're somehow perfect this is just assisting people and it's quite good when people want to have easier days that they can ride easy in zone one particularly the mountain bikes they can practice their technical descending and some of their um some of their trail riding but it doesn't have to be a hard ride because the motors just made it easier and it's not saying you know give up Give up the um, effort. Just ride electric bike, and you can still have the you know, you can still get to the cafe and eat the cake and the coffee, but um, you don't have to do any effort to get there or to get home. It's just it's assisting, and I get it. And the amount of people I see you selling to and riding and asking about it, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. There is one point that I missed out. Which, oh, which, oh, oh! Right, everybody, that's... hold your breath. Um, if there's background noise, please turn down the background noise. Martin's about to say something very important. Well, important, but. Changing bottles. I had a conversation with a couple of people in the last couple of weeks who have turned up on a ride. And and I understand that, you know, not everybody is rolling in money, but a water bottle ranges from about three quid to 25 quid. Yeah. And you kind of look at the water bottle and go, oh, oh yeah, I won that two years ago. (laughs) And you're like, "Why, why are you still using it? I said, you kind of... I mean, I like to think I replace 
I gr- I kind of buy ten bottles and I replace them on an on a, on average every three months at the, at probably the most. But people have these bottles. It's like a comfort blanket. That yeah. One guy said that he won in a running race back in two thousand and he said it was two thousand and eleven. And I was just like that. Why have you still got this bottle? Why are you still drinking out of this thing? Oh, I keep it clean. Well, I can imagine you can. I'm surprised that the water stays in it. But um, but yeah, just a silly, silly little thing. But like it's also that. it's it's the what is is it's the abrasions, and it's therefore they are places for um, bugs to sit. Actually, the plastic as it starts is great. It's when you scratch plastic, particularly around the nozzles, and it provides you know a place for bacteria to sit in and to be honest yeah but just just you know it's a couple of quid chuck them i have a i have a a nice big clear out chuck them all in either for the recycling or in the bin yeah and then just start afresh yeah or fill them up with uh old nuts bolts diving weights whatever put it on your bike and actually you know grow legs by having a heavier bike but i give people bottles often like today i gave the guy did a a bike fit bottles because i just think it's just nice to nudge people to give them a bottle, and then they do look at their old bottles. And go, oh yeah, they're a bit, they're a bit. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's that it's that comparison. Whereas if you had the old bottles, oh the old bottles, the old bottle. The moment you get new ones, the old ones can look quite skanky, and they you know they can all have their day. I've still got some very old bottles that I've kept that have been like, you know, etapped tour bottles or certain bottles where I wanted to keep them, but they were in fairly good nick. I've not kept absolutely disgusting no. bottles. I've got one. One slightly, no, slightly warm, but signed by Gabri Selassie, which yeah. I've kept. But I've got loads of bottles that, you know, they're nice. And then you get a new bottle and think, oh, just bin that bottle. What is the point in, in clinging onto it? It's just yeah, not worth thing. it. I mean, I've got a couple of pro-signed bottles um, that I managed to, managed to get hold of. So, um, you know, and, you know, I'll keep them. You know, they won't get used. And they're, like I said, they're, they're signed by pros and... And that's it. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? No, that was it. It was good notes. I think I'm going to take a picture of those notes, if I may, and we can put those out of the podcast. (laughs) I'm drawing anything. (laughs) No, you do a lot of. I notice you are a scribbler. You you do you do a lot of scribbling on pieces of paper, Martin. It's my yeah. It's almost like an attention deficit. Going. Oh God, he's gone. He's He's gone gone again. He's gone on on one again. He's gone one. He started to do his. um, He started to do his his scribbling. So um, other little bits of. It's kind of like news or things you might not have known. What did I see? Uh, So. The Weymouth Ironman race is now only a 70.3. So it's not a full distance, it's only a half distance. Not only a half distance, that was the one that was most popular and that was the one that they seemed to be able to do. But if you don't know your uh, Ironman race calendar, then, you know, within a couple of weeks either side, you've got um, Wales is always positioned quite, uh, quite good for that. And actually this year... Though Weymouth is slightly different to Lanzarote. Lanzarote is quite early this year. I think it's like the first day or the second day in September. It used to be a bit later. So there are always races to make so up for races. Windy. It's windy, yeah. Always races to make up for your races. And right now you should be putting in, I'm badgering people to get into their, certainly their A races already and hopefully their, their B category races because you don't want to miss out. And then um, it's... Um, What's that you've written? It says jot in diary to sort out things in January or uh, plan at next year. year. Yes, exactly. You know, you you don't want to have that event uh, like earlier, Mike Laxton, missing out the entry to the race that he wants to win. 
and everyone wants to go back to certain things and do again. And that's part of your admin to, to do it. So that's that's definitely, you know, do your admin. If you're going for Weymouth, uh, desire to uh, break it to somebody, there isn't a Weymouth full distance, so you've got to rethink it. Um, also, the 220 Triathlon Awards open, and if you've got a certain uh, wetsuit, certain um, bike brand, certain thing that you want to vote for, uh, that is online uh, via the 220triathlon.com website. Um, if there's anybody that's constructively helped you um, to do with, uh, I don't know, you know, somebody that like they've got often a, an award for a significant input. They normally have set names for somebody that's made a, a significant difference to triathlon, whether you like a certain race, there's tons of things to enter in. So go there, enter. It probably takes two minutes, three minutes at tops. Uh, as I said earlier, Alex Dowsett has announced a crack at Bradley Wiggins' hour record next year. They were talking about doing it as early as January, which seems incredible if he's been back in the UK to have a crack in January when we know his form is going to be much better like he did last year a bit later on. Maybe... You know, maybe he's been somewhere very sunny and he isn't in the UK at the moment, but it'd be incredibly early to have a crack in January when physiologically he's probably far better to wait the minimum through to like March. But we'll see, that will unfold. There will be in peak performance 30-year anniversary issue, which is out next year. Uh, I'm writing about the hour record, about the road records, how things have improved since 87 to 2017, where the records are, what the improvements have been, the rules, etc., etc. If you're a subscriber to Peak Performance and you get that, if not, have a look at pponline.co.uk, which is Peak Performance Online. There's some free PDFs already on the uh, on their website, and you can just search uh, Peak Performance Online. But, Please um, be careful putting that into Google. <laughs> Please. Yes, the word P, like the, the, the letter P, the yes. letter P online, all one word. Um, I can I can show you actually, Martin, as we're here, right? If I do that, it automatically see pponline.co.uk. Press new line, and it goes straight in. And there's there's articles. There's um, you know there's kind of like Q and A's, videos, downloads, loads of different Very bits informative. and pieces. It is. It's really informative. And if you like your, you know, your high tech science stuff from people that are real experts at strength and conditioning, injury prevention, uh, nutrition, I tend to write about the geeky techie stuff, but also uh, HRV recently, um, stuff connected with uh, L-carnitine supplementation, stuff to do with all manner of things. But it's it's that kind of, you know, it's that depth of article you don't generally get in most of the magazines because they don't want to scare off the sort of beginners or the soft reader this is about hardcore evidence-based stuff really kind of like you know top of the tree stuff and it's good and it's well worth the money and there's a back catalogue and a resource library that is just humongous and uh, yeah have a look at that because I think as far as subscriptions go for online resources it's I just think it's really good value, really good value, and it's one of those, um, one of those kind of um, uh, almost like benefits that as you as you go into it, you realise there's there's more and more um, available um, resources, uh, just different things to do with. Look, I just went went through. There's zones one to three, 
some bloke there telling us about zones one to three. There's actually um, a particular scenario of a chap. Funnily enough, the chap who I set up today in Southport is actually in the peak performance article. So that's quite bizarre, isn't it? There he is. Who came in today? He's never. He's never. He's, never, he he's never fifty-nine. He he's not. He's sixty now. He he's sixty now. Um, and they say you can try it for ninety-seven p to start with. So that sounds like a good. Uh, uh, you know, a good a good value. Uh... <laughs> That's like a random number. Yeah, it's not a pound, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twelve um, month membership is is eighty seven pounds, which sounds a lot for membership. And then you realise how much you get, and it's not just oh, I only get a once a month, you know, twelve page PDF. It's all of the backdrop stuff, um, and all of the. I suppose all of the all of the science and all of it helps a lot of people to condense or be to or be more knowledgeable about certain uh, you know resources or concepts and uh, yeah have a look at that because there will be the thirtieth anniversary coming out next year. Otherwise, what else do we know? I suppose my little geeky thing that's happened don't touch and raise your eyebrows like that um very fortunate and and very excited to now be doing um bioracer aero optimization so actually looking at frontal area of riders with green screen digital camera really cool software to to basically play around with people's aerodynamics their helmet choice their um arm pads their reach their width their everything to try and hone them in two weeks ago might have been three weeks ago phil super phil our iron man guy he uh phil graves that is he came down and we you know we found some watts and we found things to play around with position and tuck and stuff and it's only when you start really being able to hone it in to work out where there's 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 free speed and then amongst loads of others today uh dave ambler whose ears might be burning once again hearing his his uh his name mentioned he's done what 17 ironmans we're still perfecting what he's doing he picked up the plasma from you today and um yeah just finding positional you know with this we dropped his head by getting his elbows a bit wider so he actually lowered his frontal area by having slightly wider elbows and that isn't always something that you can necessarily measure on your own and when you've got it in real time you can actually see it and we could see a change of helmet immediately dropped not necessarily the drag of the helmet because we're not measuring the drag of the helmet we're measuring the frontal area the frontal area dropped by the equivalent of five watts just by getting the right helmet because it was lower on his head. So that is the exciting bit to be um, playing with and getting people measured, um, you know, get people measured and improved. And then they go away with positions to test, but also to be able to 3D scan. So to be able to scan somebody with um, scanners that uh, basically take like a digital representation, you get a model that is then sent away to somebody that CFD uses computational fluid dynamic to run that shape of rider effectively with a with air going over it to work out where we put the correct seams and placements of things to make sure that that rider's suit is as fast as can be. And it's so exciting because this 
having started triathlon and biking very, very many years ago, this kind of stuff to me is like, I'm in the sweet shop and it's brilliant. And to be able to take somebody like Phil Graves and say, we found this, that this is better, this is better, right the way to the, you know, the age group triathlete and time trialist doing two time trialists tomorrow. And to be able to improve based on a inexpensive, but very cutting edge piece of technology again based on processor speed we can do so much now based on processor speed that allows us to do stuff and it's very exciting we had a conversation before we came on air just about back to the future um the actual uh, the films and uh, which i do i put on record i do love i think they're brilliant as good as star wars is it um and we were just saying the things that have that were forecast to happen yeah. so obviously we're still livid that there's no hoverboards. You are. I wasn't really that fussed about the hoverboard, to be honest. I wasn't fussed about What was the point in watching it? <laughs> Other than that. And floating cars. Floating cars, absolutely. Oh, it's, only, it's only time. It's only time. Uh, so I've had my bit of Q&A and gossip. Uh, I was going to say also, I'd sent out the midwinter newsletter from coachjoebeer.com. There's things like... Uh, um, Twitter feeds for people that don't watch tw- watch my Twitter feed. There's there's bits of advice that went out via Twitter which you missed. Therefore, it's in the um, in the newsletter. Motivational videos, links to that. Um, there's a download of a basically a PDF that allows you to do your own fitness testing. Info about racer optimization, some coaching notes about what to do in the winter and some examples of some athletes and what they've done, updates on links for the uh, the book, Time Crunch Triathlon, I completely forgot the name of the book, Time Crunch Triathlon links to various places such as it's now on Kindle and I think uh, the WH Smith version which is Kobo or something like Kobo um, and lots of other links. So if you don't subscribe, you can subscribe from coachjoebeer.com and click on the contact link and that will take you through to all the various um, streams such as the Twitter feed and the newsletter feed and stuff like that. I think I've come to the limit. I think so. Yes. I just... we've, done, we've, done, we've done enough, I think, for the 150th. I know. I, it was quite a momentous uh, occasion. Yeah, like, oh, hold on, let's open the champagne. Hold on, champagne. There we go. Should we spray it up in the air? Like they do, you know, spray the champagne around. That's a waste, isn't it? That's a waste, yes, yes. Well, actually, I've got some um, Powerbar Protein Plus Sports Frucy. I could shake that and throw it over your head, but you wouldn't be very, um, you, wouldn't be, <laughs> you wouldn't be very happy, would you? No, I wouldn't. No, no. you wouldn't, no, no. Um, we appreciate your reviews. We very much appreciate also your questions. You can contact, you could go via the at Safe Racing Twitter feed. You could go via the at Coach Joe Beer Twitter feed. Or you could go to uh, coachjoebeer.com and click on the uh, the contact. It's brilliant to get random questions that aren't about, you know, more 80-20 training or, you know, what tyres are great. Um, just give us your your thoughts, which, which may be random, which may completely flummox us and make us have to use our... Uh, our uh, use of Google. <laughs> well, not just that. Joe's uh, laptop contains loads of papers as well. So, you know, if it's something that 
that there's been a study on, then we can have a little look at it just to see, look, you know, there's no reason why you can't do it. You know, the, the study shows this, that and the other, and, and at least we can uh, we can give that to you uh, if we've got it. So, yeah, yeah, but but yeah, keep sending the questions indefinitely. We're we're more than happy to. Answer and there's them. there's definitely going to be an um, I think a uh, a quite not challenging a quite different way to um, to to look at the midwinter um, scenario, which which is the transcranial light stimulation. Oh, I'm kind of hoping we weren't going to get to this. <laughs> Well, there's never a power cut when you need one, is there? No, there's never no, a power these, cut. When you well, need I, I've got to, I've got to say, there's many an idea that I've poo pooed that Joe has, uh, that, that, that Joe has come up with. But normally he's pretty. No, good. I don't come up with these ideas. I just wow. find other people's Sorry, ideas yes. and say, "Oh, there's a clever person doing a clever thing. Will that, will that help health? Will that help fitness? Or will that help performance?" And um, and this one will. And I've got a. a, a Stunning response from somebody on how well it, it helped them. And um, hopefully, before then, you will have already had a try of it as well. So, you know, really? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. No, yes. I'm, I'm absolutely. Got to keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Open mind. So, I suppose as we're going to put this out very, very close to Christmas, and in the background, listeners, just, just. Just think about the lovely Southport blue lights in the window, just making lovely... Nipping at your nose, toes? Toes, nose, yeah. Just think about the, you know, the Southport lights in the in the window, just producing lovely, just lovely thoughts of, of Christmas. We'll even take a video of it, actually, which would be... Um, which would be wonderful. Mm. Could have done with some tinsel, really. Yeah, but we should we should wish uh, our listeners a very very uh, happy Christmas. I think, and take a little video of the um, this. This is um, I'm going to start with Martin, so I'll start bad and then get better. Right, start with Martin and then twinkling pan star. round, twinkly star. Yeah, then pan round, then you can see the lovely Christmas. There we go. That's Christmas in a in a nutshell, right there. And we will say, have a happy, happy, happy time. If you do or don't celebrate Christmas, if you do or don't have time off, and if you do or don't uh, get the uh, opportunity to go out and uh, run around, swim around, bike around, lark around, just let's make twenty seventeen a very enjoyable, fun, challenging, but very. I just think uh, almost like a, a very... I mean, look, we're just seeing people run by with their head torches on. There's so many people now into fitness. It's brilliant. It's so great that people want to consider that they can be out there, not just be somebody looking out of their out their window at people that all seem to be doing it, but they're not doing it. Let's make 2017 something where you don't have to break huge barriers, you don't have to break the hour record, you don't have to do an Ironman, but that we all do our little bit to both um, look after ourselves, to promote healthy... Uh, exercise regimes and uh, also to have fun along the way and a heartfelt thanks from myself and joe just for a kind of supporting the podcast um i mean we we, we genuinely hope that somebody's listening <laughs> but, is there somebody out there yeah. but not only that i mean we, we we choose to to do this you know it takes quite a bit of effort for for, for Joe and I to kind of balance this up as in getting it organised. But normally when we sit down, we're never...
never short of something that we've uh, we've got to say. Or <laughs> that got you've to got discuss. to get off your chest. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, heartfelt thanks for for everybody for for listening and, and supporting. But also, uh, um, without you guys, then we you know we wouldn't have anything to uh, to chat about. So uh, have a fantastic Christmas to everybody and all your families. And hopefully in 2017, it will be the uh, um, the best year yet. I will send out the picture of Martin's notes just so you can see that there's actual real hard effort gone into there. I reckon he must have taken... Or at least two minutes to scribble it down before I got here. There's two giant arrows in there as well. Yeah, there are. Yeah, that was the scribbles, and people can see. Perhaps if we've got a psychologist listening, can you tell me what the hell these things are on the Martin's paper, and and is it a good sign or a bad sign? Yeah. Please don't judge me on my spelling <laughs> and my handwriting. <laughs> Thank you so much. Please keep listening. Keep your questions. Uh, keep telling other people about the the podcast, and uh, we will. Speak to you in 2017. Have a fantastic Christmas. Oh, and you, Siri. And you, Siri. Bye. Oh,